Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. Once I was in Philadelphia sightseeing, and I like history, so I went into one of the oldest churches in the country, the Old Quaker Meeting House in Philadelphia. And sadly, the Quakers have kind of become like the Unitarians. It's kind of a do-it-yourself religion. Whatever your view of God is, you're comfortable with, that's God for you. Not all Quakers are like that, but it's getting there. So I, I tour this old Quaker meeting house, and this, the lady, uh, Quaker lady leading the tour has all the tourists sit down and gives a little overview of the Quaker religion. Any questions? I put up my hand. Do Quakers believe in the Trinity, one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Her response, how can I tell you what to believe when you already have God within you? In other words, I don't think you have to believe in the Trinity to be a Quaker. And then she says, we Quakers believe religion should unite people, never divide people. Religion should unite people. And what did she mean by that? I'm afraid I know. I think what she meant was truth doesn't matter. All that matters is that we hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Well, today we're going to watch the Apostle Paul fight for truth within the church. And it, there's going to be a division made, but God bless the Apostle Paul for standing up and fighting for truth. If he hadn't, we might not have the gospel of grace today. We're going to look at Acts chapter 15, uh, a very important uh, a paragraph in the Bible, because if Paul hadn't fought this fight, we might all be legalists right now, believing one. And you know, truth does exist. You don't make it up. God makes up the truth, and we Christians are to fight for it. Yes, we want peace and unity, but not at the expense of truth. Quickly, I'll give you an example. Back in 2009, the big liberal branch of Lutheranism, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, decided what you believe about homosexuality, the truth, doesn't matter. We have Lutheran churches that affirm homosexual behavior. We have other Lutheran churches that don't. Well, it doesn't matter. Every church, and, and now they ordain practicing homosexuals in the ELCA Lutheran Church. They have gay weddings. and Not every church, because it doesn't matter what you believe. We're all going to, the, the, the line that got that horrible policy through, all that matters is that we're united in Christ. Paul the Apostle would weep. Take out your Bible, please. Turn to Acts chapter 15. And let's pray. <laughs> Father, we do pray for unity in your church, but not at the expense of your truth. And Lord, help each one of us watching this program, looking at the Apostle Paul now, help us learn how to stand up for the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, before we get to our story for the day, let me set it up. The year is 49 A.D., Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch 
from which they had been sent out on the first missionary journey. They come back to their home church and they say, brothers and sisters rejoice. This missionary journey was a success. Many people accepted Christ and not just Jewish people, Gentile, non-Jews accepted Christ. So rejoice. And the church was very happy except for some Jewish Christians. And they said, wait a minute, Paul, you let non-Jews, Gentiles into the church? Well, yes, isn't that wonderful? Well, wait a minute. You did circumcise them first, according to the law of Moses, before you let them in. Well, no, as long as they accepted Christ, isn't that great? That's all that matters. What? You, you let uncircumcised Gentiles into the church? And so begins the first big in-church battle with heresy. This would lead to the first church council when the apostles gathered in Jerusalem to decide, is Paul right or are the Judaizers right? All right, let's see what they decided. Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 1. But some men, these Judaizers, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. First lesson for today. Beware of anyone who adds anything to the gospel. I mean, oops here. The Judaizers were adding something to the gospel, circumcision. Let me explain this. The gospel, the good news is, Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead. You're saved by the grace of God. And the Judaizers are saying, well, we believe in grace too. We believe in the cross too, but it's not enough. You also have to be circumcised, and then you're saved. That was 49 AD. Fast forward to 1517 AD. Johann Tetzel is going through Germany jingling his money box saying, well, we believe in, in the cross too, but it's not enough. You need to pay money to the church and then we'll get grandma out of purgatory. And they were kind of selling salvation. Luther kind of exploded like the Apostle Paul had exploded in 49 AD. Let's move ahead to today. How does legalism show its face today in the church? It kind of goes like this. Well, we believe in Christ too, but he's not enough. You got to not drink, not smoke, not play cards, not dance, don't go to movies, and then you got to pray real hard and try real hard, and then maybe you're saved. And the Apostle Paul would say, no, no, no. The joy of the Christian life is that Jesus is all you need to be saved, not circumcision, not this or that. Jesus is everything. And I remember an old Lutheran professor at seminary teaching us, I am glad that my salvation depends 100% on Jesus and not this much on me. Because he said, I have trouble doing this much. <laughs> Many years ago when I was young, I dated a young woman whose parents were pretty strict Christians. No movies, no dancing, etc. And I, I went up to her parents one day and I said, Walt Disney's Bambi is on the big screen again. Do you mind if I take your daughter to go see Bambi? And they said, oh no, it's a movie. Well, now her children are long grown up. Of, her, of their four children, one of them goes to church. Let me ask you this. Is your Christian faith, is Christianity for you kind of a burden, 
a chore. You got to learn the truth of Acts 15. The chore has been done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. So our salvation is done. Rejoice in that. Don't add anything to that. I was 20 years old going to Bethel College, taking an evangelism course, and our professor taught us we're saved by grace alone, not by you having to be good enough and earn it. I can't tell you how much that freed me. It's the grace of God, period. Um, in Acts chapter 15, the Judaizers are trying to add circumcision to grace, and they were stealing people's freedom. Let's, look, let's just real quick before we go to the next verse, let me explain circumcision. 2000 BC, there were no believers. Everybody was a pagan idolater. So God wants to get a chosen people and, and to reveal himself to his chosen people. So 2000 BC, God chooses Abraham, a pagan idolater in Babylon, and he makes him a believer. And he says, now Abraham, I'm going to give you a sign that you and your children are going to be my people, the Jews. Circumcise your eight-day-old babies. And circumcision was a great thing. It was the, the sign that these are God's people. And it was given just to the Jews, by the way, not to us today. But the trouble was some of the Jews turned the sign into their salvation. And the way you get saved is by being circumcised. Does that sound familiar? Well, we know Uncle Joe's in heaven because he was a confirmed member of the Lutheran church. No, no, no. The thing that saves us, says Paul and said Luther, is the grace of God, period. So, beware of anyone who adds anything to the gospel, because they'll steal your freedom if you, if you believe it. Look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, the Judaizers, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Here's the next lesson I learned. There is a place for healthy fighting within the Christian church. Paul is going to fight the Judaizers, and again, I'm glad he fought it, otherwise we might have lost the gospel of grace. Here's another good fight from church history. 325 AD, a heretic by the name of Arius was infecting the church with his belief that there is no trinity, Jesus is not God, Jesus is not eternal, he's a creature. So a man by the name of Athanasius, the bishop, stood up and said, he's a heretic. The Bible teaches there's one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus is God and eternal. It was such a big fight that all the bishops had to come together to Nicaea in 325 AD, come up with the Nicene Creed that you probably say in your church every week, and they said, Athanasius is right, Arius is wrong. It was a good fight. Again, another good fight of church history, 1517. Tetzel is going through Germany, jingling his money box, saying, every copper that in my coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. In other words, give us money and we'll get grandma out of purgatory. And that was a battle that Luther fought. I'm glad he fought it. So I learned from Acts 15, there is a place for healthy fighting in the church. I remember a lady saying, you know, Pastor Brock, can I tell you why I started coming to your church? My husband and I used to go to this other Lutheran church. The pastor got in the pulpit, and he was preaching on John 14, 6, 
where Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. And our Lutheran pastor from the pulpit said, I don't know why Jesus said that. We know our God is bigger than that. And she elbowed her husband and said, let's get out of this church. He's correcting Jesus from the pulpit. Listen, if you have a pastor preaching like that, I hope in a humble, gentle way, but in a powerful way, you will fight that. There is a time to fight in the church for God's truth. Let me look. Let us turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they, Paul and Barnabas, passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, the first church council, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, these are the Jewish Judaizer Christians, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. I want you to notice something in, in that verse. It says, some believers, these heretics, were believers. So here's my next lesson. You can be theologically off and still be saved. <laughs> I mean, they were wrong. It was a big error. But they were believers. I remember when I was 19, my dad was dying. He was a Catholic. And on his deathbed, he wanted me to read to him these prayers to the Virgin Mary. And I did it, but I felt real funny about it. I don't know that I do it today. Because, you know, in the Bible, you pray to God. You don't pray to Mary, or if you lose your keys, you don't pray to St. Jude. Or if you're traveling, you don't pray to St. Christopher. You pray to God. So I, don't, I wouldn't have prayed those prayers today. I think my dad was theologically off. No offense to our Catholic viewers, but you pray to God. But you know what? You can be theologically off and still be saved. And even this Lutheran will discover when he gets to the pearly gates, he had some stuff wrong. All of us, no matter how well you know your Bible, we all have something wrong, some baggage we're going to have to drop as we go into the gates. Have you ever heard this joke? A guy dies and St. Peter meets him at the gates of heaven. And he says, let me give you the tour. So he takes this man, St. Peter takes him to this over corner of heaven. And here's people worshiping very quietly. And he says, these are the Episcopalians. They're very high church. Takes him to another area of heaven. People are jumping up and down, yelling, screaming, dancing while they sing. These are the Pentecostals. Takes him to another area, another. Finally, he takes the man up 16 flights of stairs to the far corner of heaven. And here's another group worshiping. And St. Peter, who are these people? Shh. These are the Southern Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> we learn from the Acts 15 story, everybody has stuff wrong that will be 100% corrected in heaven. But you can be theologically off and be saved because we're all theologically off. All right, look at verse 6. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter, whether you had to be circumcised to be saved. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God 
who knows the heart, bore witness to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, Jewish believers, and he made no distinction between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Here is the next lesson. Peter has come a long way in this verse. Peter used to be a racist. He didn't like those dirty Gentiles. So earlier in the book of Acts, God gives Peter a vision three times and says, don't call dirty what I have cleansed. So Peter stands up against racism. I think God is proud of Peter in this verse. So here is the next lesson. God makes no distinction between the races. There'll be black people and yellow people and white people and red people, all kinds of people in heaven. There's no room for racism in heaven and there's no room for racism in the church on earth. So let me ask you this question. When somebody tells a racist joke, do you laugh? Or do you say, I don't think God wants you telling that joke. <laughs> no room for racism in the church. And before we leave verse 9, look at verse 9 and answer this question. How do you get a clean heart? It says, we get a clean heart by faith. Notice, you don't get a clean heart by, by getting circumcised or by paying indulgences or by being a lifelong member of the Lutheran Church or anything. You get a clean heart by faith. That means you come to God and you say, God, I believe in the blood of Christ, that his blood, his death on the cross, washes me clean. That's how you get a clean heart. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you Jewish believers putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the Gentile disciples that neither our fathers, our Jewish fathers, nor we Jews have been able to bear? You know, it was hard to be a Jew. They not only had the Old Testament laws to keep, but the rabbis had added all these over laws that weren't in, even in the Old Testament. It was hard to be a Jew. And let me ask you this. Do you feel it's hard for you to be a Christian? Well, I think in some sense it is, but Jesus said kind of both. He said, my yoke is easy, but it is a yoke. My burden is light, but it is a burden. But if your Christianity has stopped being light and, and easy, you gotta know that the wonderful truth of the next verse, the next verse is probably the central verse in the book of Acts, hugely important verse, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, the Gentiles, will. Here's the central teaching of the book of Acts. We are saved by grace. And what is grace? Many years ago, a famous artist wanted to paint a picture of London. And he wanted to have in the picture a, a, a little uh, orphan boy. So he goes out into the streets and here is a little boy, dirt from head to toe, kind of ragged clothing, and he goes up to the boy, would you like this silver coin? Oh, I sure would. Well then, and he handed him the card, come to this address tomorrow at nine in the morning and let me paint you, come just as you are, and you'll get the silver coin. The next morning, the doorbell rings, the maid goes to the door and says, sir, there's a little boy here. Oh yes, send him in. Little boy comes in, totally clean from head to toe. His mother had stitched everything up. He looked just great. And the artist said, 
why did you do that? Well, you, it's 9 o'clock. I just came here to get my money and to sit for your... No, I told you to come just as you are. <laughs> now, I don't know if the kid got the money or not, but here's the point of the servant, of the story. God does not want you coming to him as a circumcised member of the chosen race. He doesn't want you coming as a confirmed member of the Presbyterian Church. God wants you to come to him just as you are. In other words, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need your grace to be saved. That's what grace means. Somebody said, grace means God saves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Let's see how the story ends. So the apostles decide Paul's right, the Judaizers are wrong, all you need to be saved is Jesus, not circumcision. And so they sent a letter back to Antioch, and here's what happens, verse 30. So when they, Paul and Barnabas, were sent off, they went down to Antioch. Having gathered the congregation, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And why did they rejoice? Because salvation is free, and you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Let me close with this. Our family doctor growing up in Omaha was Dr. Armbrust. He delivered my brother and I, and he was our doctor all the way through high school. Dr. Armbrust, for reasons I don't know, did not believe in circumcising babies when almost everybody gets circumcised. He, he thought you should wait till they're eight years old and can feel it. <laughs> So I'm eight years old, my brother is six, we go into the hospital for two nights to get circumcised. And I remember they called it magic perfume, they put the ether on you. I went into the, the uh, operating room and put, they put us under anesthesia. Something didn't go right because I have a memory of being wheeled out of the operating room, kicking the sheets off, screaming because it hurt so bad. Uh, a couple weeks later, Mom takes Mark and I to the doctor's office to get our bandages taken off. And I, this was a sad, lonely memory. I remember Mom taking Mark in first, me sitting alone out in the waiting room. Mark is inside the doctor's office as the bandages are being removed, screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm next! <laughs> and my point of telling that story is, don't you think the adult men of Antioch before the days of anesthesia, we're overjoyed to learn all we need to be saved is faith in Christ. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, we only have a few minutes left, but mm -hmm. When you say we're saved by grace alone, apart from good works, why does the Bible say we will be judged by our works? Yeah, the Bible maintains two things. On Judgment Day, it's done by works. But we're saved by grace and not our works. So I think this is the way it works, Jackie. It, there's two way it works. If we're judged strictly by our works, we're all damned because we sin in thought, word, and deed daily. So in that sense, we're judged by our works, and then we're saved by Christ on the cross, the grace. But a second thing is also true. When you're saved by grace, it does change your life. You know, you won't be perfect by any means, but it does change your life. And that life change shows that you were saved by grace. You're still saved by grace alone, not works. Yeah. You know, I 
still remember from way, way back in, when I was in junior confirmation of learning the definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's A expense. G-R-A-C-E, that's with right. With the letters of it. There you go. So have you ever seen racism in the church? You know, uh, I only heard about it once, Jackie, and this was at our church. And I, I, God forgive whoever did this. And had I found out who did it, I would have had to had a talk, but I didn't know who did it. Somebody said that an interracial couple came to Hope Lutheran years ago, and somebody went up and said, you know, it's probably best if you're kind don't attend here. Really? Boy, that's evil. So, yeah, it's in the church. I think it's in all of us. All of us are racist to a degree. You know, I, I, I think, you know, no matter what your color is, you kind of wonder about the other race. Tom, Sin. did you talk to the person that made that comment? I, you know, it's been years, and I, 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 the way I kind of remember it is the person maybe didn't know who it was that said it, so I couldn't, you oh. know. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell <laughs> us, what's legalism? Legalism is the view that what we just talked about, the cross is not enough to save you. Grace is not enough to save you. You also have to do your legalistic works, be it you know, circumcision, indulgences, be it uh, 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 not going to movies. Uh, you know, a lot of movies you shouldn't go to, but to say you can't go to movies and be saved, there are people like that. There are people, who, I mean, I saw some, Jackie, some famous preacher, I won't tell you his name, he was making the, the view that if you have a drink, we're not talking uh, being a drunkard. If you have a glass of wine, you're not saved. Well, then Jesus wasn't saved because he drank wine, you know. So. All right, you've defined legalism. What's liber libertinism? Libertinism is the op legalism is you got to do all this stuff and then maybe you're saved. Legalism, uh, libertinism is the opposite. Because we're saved by grace, you can live like the devil and you're going to heaven. Because liberty, 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 and they got to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where if you're living in impenitent sin, you don't know what grace is, you're not saved. What churches are teaching those? Well, you know, as Should far we as- avoid those? Uh, well, the, the, the legalistic churches, you know, the, I, we're, I'm a Lutheran, but there's, there's a branch of two of, of, of small Lutheran groups that can be very legalistic. As far as liberalism, they're in the Lutheran church too, where, you know, you can have gay sex and you can have an abortion and, you know, we're saved by grace. And every denomination, you can find legalistic and libertine uh, congregations. A lot of this depends on the pastor. Okay. Well, we only have about a half a minute left, okay. Tom. And, you know, this ministry has been going for how long now? 28 years. So, Tom has no hair, and mine is I had hair. color. Yes, yours was dark, <laughs> and mine was there. But. but we want to thank you for your support, and we pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.